Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is John Anderson, who has a master's degree in physics education and has taught physics for 36 years at both the high school and college levels. Currently, John is a physics instructor at the University of Minnesota, as well as a clinical supervisor of science student teachers. He also works as a consultant for the American Association of Physics Teachers, as the PhysTech Teacher in Residence Coordinator, and as the Physics Bowl Academic Coordinator. Additionally, he has spent 24 years as a member of the Physics Force, an outreach team from the University of Minnesota, and he spent 20 years as a CorkNet lead teacher. John has been a physics modeler and has led physics modeling workshops since 2008. Here's my conversation with John. Well, hi, John. How are you? Well, I'm doing well, Mark. How about yourself? I'm well. I'm uh, staying busy out here in California. So, <laughs> Well, I want to I jump back in your timeline and ask you about, because it's been several years, but how did you first get interested in the modeling approach in the classroom, and, and uh, what, what introduced you to it? Sure. Um, well, it's a, a little bit of a convoluted history. Um, I um, got introduced to Arnold Ahrens uh, and Arnold Ahrens and uh, his book in, when I was in my master's program. Uh, I got an MED in physics education, and and that was in the early 90s. And that's, uh, and I really, you know, it, that began, began to validate some of the things that I, uh, or give voice to some of the things that I was doing in the classroom at the time. And, and it really, really stuck with me. Um, 2002 was my first formal introduction to modeling. Um, and that was at, um, it was at a workshop that was run by uh, Tom Okuma and uh, Kurt Heigelke. Um, and it was at Miami-Dade Community College. And, um, and one of the presenters, it was a three-day workshop um, that uh, they used to run for two-year college uh, and high school instructors. And, um, and so one of the presenters in that workshop was Dwayne Davian, who I know was a recent guest of yours. Um, and, um, and Dwayne specifically, I mean, he introduced modeling as, a, as an approach, if you will, um, at that time, but then he really focused on the use of whiteboards and, um, and introduced us to, uh, using whiteboards as a communication, um, debriefing from a, from a lab sort of tool. Um, so, uh, it was uh, something that I started to adopt. Um, and, um, uh, and, and, uh, and I've always, I've always approached my physics from a very hands-on perspective, um, and, uh, um, I'm fairly mechanically inclined. So I always look for ways to enhance, uh, what we were learning with, you know, physical apparatus, whether it be for a demonstration or whether it be, you know, most typically a lab or an activity that the students got involved in. 
Um, so we'll start to come together, right? You know, these things that I've read uh, from Arnold Ahrens that stuck with me, and then this introduction in 2002 to modeling. Um, but when I really uh, got on board was uh, when I did a three-week workshop at, uh, at Florida International University in Miami, and that was in 2009. And, um, um, and it was sort of this culmination of um, I'd been using Vernier software and uh, related equipment since 93 um, and then wrote a couple of grants for my high school to the tune of about $25,000 um, in 94 and then again in 96. So I was able to buy the whole suite of Vernier equipment and really uh, began to integrate that into my own curriculum, you know, even more so. Um, and um, but when I uh, when I took this modeling workshop, it's like it all fell into place, right? It was like here's what I've been uh, trying to do, but it didn't really have um, uh, it didn't really have a description uh, as uh, or or it didn't have sort of the the layout that modeling gave it. And um, so I mean, things just like I said, things just fell into place. You know, the the equipment that I'd been using, um, the the phenomena first approach. Um, the deployment activities that come after they learn something, um, sort of a de-emphasis on the math and more on the um, um, on the physical phenomena and applications to the real world, and um, yeah, I mean it just uh, it, it just completely uh, um, uh, validated, if you will, uh, a lot of the things that I had been trying to do. Um, and just gave it more of a framework that I thought made sense, um, and. Um, so, uh, so I did that workshop. That was 2009. And, um, and the next academic year I was teaching, um, I was teaching three sections of a concurrent enrollment physics class through the university of Minnesota. So my students would get, get credit for the course they took from the university of Minnesota. They were fully registered students. And, uh, you know, essentially I, my high school was like a satellite campus for these classes. And, um, so I was teaching three sections of, of that and then two sections of introductory physics. And um, so what I, what I decided to do was I put away any materials that I'd accumulated um, for my introductory physics course. You know, and by this time, I'd been teaching close to 20 years or at least 20 years, I guess. Um, yeah, I got to get my dates right. Yeah, 20 years. And uh, so I had an accumulation of 20 years of, of curriculum and, you know, just things that I'd done. And I just sort of put it all away um, and jumped in with both feet with the modeling curriculum with my, um, my two high school physics classes. And, uh, and so that was, that was a real uh, baptism by fire for me to, to really uh, implement it that way. Um, and then, you know, as time went on, I, I just integrated more and more of it into both my, you know, I, I use that approach exclusively with my introductory physics. Um, and then I picked up a couple of sections in, uh, of an honors ninth grade physics in place of the introductory physics. And they were completely on board with it. I, I mean, there was no hesitation for them because they hadn't been indoctrinated. I don't want to say indoctrinated, but they hadn't gotten used to yeah. <laughs> um being given the formula and then, you know, just working a bunch of problems. And, um, but they, uh, so they really jumped in and then, you know, as time went on, like I said, I just integrated it more and more into my own, uh, into my college and the schools courses. Um, and, um, just found all kinds of ways to, uh, to make that work. Um, 
And then the other thing that happened was then the following summer, 2010, um, I got asked to lead a workshop um, at FIU at Florida International University. And, um, and I did that for the next five years. Um, and, um, and then started also leading the workshops at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Um, right. and, um, so that's, that's kind of my history with it, still leading workshops. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, still learning a lot by doing it. I mean, that's, to me, that's one of the best things about it is not only, um, sort of spreading the gospel, if you will, but, uh, but also, uh, um, just, uh, all the stuff that I learned from the people that participate in the modeling workshops. And, and, um, so that's, uh, uh, I f- consider myself, um, you know, as much of a, uh, a beneficiary as I am a provider of professional development at that point, because they, right. uh, uh, you know, the, they bring a lot. So, yeah. That's that's sort of my history with it, right up to then. And I I've led led workshops also at um, um, University of Central Florida in Orlando, um, one at the University of Minnesota, and um, you know it's all about funding, of course. So um, money's got to be there for them to do it. Are you uh, are you teaching this summer any workshops? Yeah, I'll be at Cal Poly for two weeks this summer. That's uh, the two. The two weeks right after the, the week of the fourth, I think we start on call it the tenth. I'm not positive of that date because I'm not looking at a calendar, but um, but I believe it's the tenth of July, and we go. It's that Monday after the fourth, and then we go for two straight weeks after that. Right. Cool. Well, if if our listeners are interested in uh, joining your workshop, then they can check it out on the AMTA website. I'm sure modelinginstruction.org yep yep and there's uh there's concurrent chemistry um biology and physics workshops that happen during those two weeks uh, yeah i think my wife is doing the chemistry uh workshop yeah at, while you're there yep. she's uh she's mentioned though they you know you pick one of those to participate in, but you guys do do some cross training a little bit. There's some, uh, interactive, uh, stuff between the participants of each of those workshops. Is that correct? There is on a couple of levels. One is, is we always set aside, or I shouldn't say always, we've been doing this. Um, well, then you throw COVID into this mix. So let's just say that we have done, I can't give you an exact number, but let's, let's just say that we have done, um, more than one uh, part of a day where the, the all three groups get together and we look for some common threads um, through the different uh, approach or through the different top uh, subject areas for the modeling. And um, so that's, that's one way that it happens. And then the other way is, is that um, the participants often um, will stay in the same housing facility when they're there. And so naturally uh, they're just going to have uh, uh, casual conversations that revolve around what they're learning and, and uh, you know, and the, and the modeling approach that they are picking up um, and several participants that I can, I can think of uh, have taken both the chemistry and the physics, um, not necessarily in one order or another, but, um, but people have taken both of them. So that, that I guess is sort of a third way that it naturally um, leads to overlap. Yeah. But yeah, lots of, lots of discussion, you know, amongst the, the modelers at, you know, at lunch and, um, um, 
during uh, during common break times and uh, that we have, and uh, it's just uh, yeah, it's very collegial and um, very uh, easy um, conversations that that people do have. Yeah, because they're there by choice. Right, it's very cool. So, tell me, what is your favorite part about the workshops? Teaching them, you know, what when you get into those two weeks, what's your favorite part? Yeah, well, God, there's so many, Mark. <laughs> you know, um, first of all, I mean, I just really enjoy hanging out with physics teachers, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I, they're an interest, they're, they're an interesting and an engaged uh, group of people, and. Um, so by you know at least my experience has been and so I, I just you know I really enjoy just being around um, uh, like-minded people that are there to try to pick up as much as they can and and uh, um, and enhance their teaching um, you know like I said personally I learn a lot from the participants and um, so I, I really like that part of it too and um, but I love seeing uh, particularly veteran teachers. Um, look at ah, teaching physics from a different perspective um, or from a different, a different, taking a different approach to teaching it than uh, perhaps they had uh, felt comfortable doing before, or maybe weren't aware um, that it was an option. So um, yeah, um, th those are all things I, I like. Um, I've been really lucky to work with lots of uh, noise scholars. And um, I, I think that, you know they are uh, they're a really motivated and and uh, energetic group of uh, of participants uh, and it's I really also am like I like also the the interactions that happen between sometimes we've had pre-service teachers as well as you know quite veteran teachers um, and watching those interactions between pre-service teachers and um, experienced veteran teachers and you know that's a two-way street too because. There's, there's a lot to be learned from both directions there, from both groups of people. Um, so, it, I mean, there's so many things. It, it, um, uh, but it, uh, it, it makes for a really enjoyable and uh, fast-paced uh, couple of weeks every summer. Yeah, that's great. We'll be right back to our conversation. But first, we want to encourage you to help bring modeling instruction to your area. The AMTA is currently looking for individuals or organizations to host face-to-face -face summer workshops. We can help craft a workshop experience to meet the needs of your teachers. Our team can guide you in the process and provide facilitators and digital materials. Learn more by emailing Kayleen at klove at modelinginstruction.org. That's klove, K-L-O-V-E at modelinginstruction.org. Hey, I, I want to ask you a couple questions about um, your practices in the classroom. And, um, you know, you can, I don't know, you can approach either high school or college or both, it doesn't matter. But I know one of the things that um, you are, are really focused on and proficient at is lab design and how you set up your classroom, setting up your classrooms. Do you want to talk about kind of some of your approach to the lab design and setup? Sure. Um, I mean, I think, I think every, 
every physics teacher, maybe I'll say most physics teachers, have had to uh, design some of their own equipment, right? Maybe, you know, didn't have it, couldn't afford it, whatever the case may be. Um, so, uh, um, and I've always enjoyed that part of it, right? I've always enjoyed putting together, um, uh, you know, even <laughs> one of the things that I got so so much use out of when I was teaching high school was, uh, uh, you know, like 10 inch long pieces of two by four, right? And this isn't a whole lot in the design department, but, um, <laughs> but just, you know, just two little chunks of two by four that I put an eye hook in on one end and put felt pad um, on one, on two sides, on, on an edge and on a, on a, uh, on the face of it. Um, and, um, and using that for lots of different things, um, um, building, uh, um, a centripetal force, uh, uh, apparatus, um, building hovercrafts, um, that students could, uh, um, put to use, um, so my, my approach has always been to give them to been the modeling approach where, where um, uh, we start with the phenomena and then we follow up with the explanation, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be mathematical, whether it be graphical, um, a written uh, explanation or description, and, um, and then looking for lots of examples of where they're going to see the same thing. Um, out in the real world. And, um, and so that's something that, that I've always really enjoyed. And so anything that I've put together, um, whether it be with existing lab equipment or something that I've made, um, has been with that in mind to either give them a good experience in, in, in starting out their study of the topic um, or to try to show them applications of it and perhaps uh, additional deployment labs that we do um, that, are, that are part of it as well. Um, and along the way, we developed the math, and uh, but um, but it really has to start with something that, that that they have to physically manipulate, and that they have to be involved in in building and putting to use, uh, or setting up and putting to use, um, and taking their own data. And um, so that's you know the other thing that I've always been a firm believer in is is the fact that students um, really liked ownership, right? They wanted. I mentioned this, I think, in the. Um, some of my preliminary stuff that I sent you, but, but, uh, students like to own the things that they do. Um, right. And, uh, and the things that they learn. Um, and they also like to, uh, um, they, they like to be in the expert role. And I think that's one of the things that modeling does so well is that, you know, that they, um, they, they set up their own, uh, lab equipment. They, uh, um, they collect their own results. Um, they analyze their own results, and then they display their own results if it's graphical, if it has a graphical application. And um, but that's that's theirs, right? And what's what's great in in a discussion, in a classroom discussion, is is that um, each group uh, will often have a slightly different approach, and sometimes a drastically different approach to getting the data. And, um, um, but what makes that unique is that that's, that's their own. And they, they get to say, this is, this is how we did it. Um, and this is the data that we collected. Um, and here's how we're displaying it. So that automatically puts them in the expert role too. And, um, so it really, you know, it gives them, gives them voice that they wouldn't have if, um, if I handed them a sheet of directions and said, here you go. 
right? You know, make sure you do step seven before you do step eight, <laughs> you know, and, right. uh, um, and then put all your data on this nice, neat little table here that I've set up for you. Um, that's, you know, th- that's just uh, uh, plug and play. That's not them. Uh, there's nothing authentic about that, in my opinion. Well, you mentioned um, the discussion groups. Do you have tricks that you use that you've learned to help facilitate that discussion among groups and in your classroom? What are, what are some of the tricks you use to help make that happen, especially in the context of your science classroom? I think there's a couple things. I think, first of all, um, you either have to do modeling or you don't, right? You can't start the year um, with one approach to teaching your physics class and then start sprinkling in some modeling because I don't, I, I just don't think that huh. works as well. Um, I think you have to, you have to establish in your classroom that, that um, this is going to be you basically directing your learning um, and I'm going to be facilitating it and providing the, the materials for it. Um, and, uh, uh, and I think they have to start getting used to that. And it's very, um, they're, they're, they're not used to it. With they being, of course, the students. Um, and, um, um, and so there's, you know, the, there's some struggles that happen with that at the beginning. Um, as it gets going, um, they also have realized that, that every time that they're going to be asked to discuss their procedure and share their results and, uh, um, and that their input is, is an important part of the learning of the class from, for the class as a whole. Um, I always make an effort to I'm very clear about setting up the, um, the board meeting, the white, whiteboard circle rules, um, right from the beginning. And then I stick with them, um, to the point where I don't have to mention them anymore, but, what I uh, what I always tell my students is that <clears throat> when we get ourselves into some closed geometric figure, uh, not necessarily a circle. I don't think it's ever been a circle, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it is some sort of closed geometric shape um, that uh, they should be in a position where they can't see anybody else's back, um, and also that they can see everybody's whiteboard that's on display, and. Um, because um, I don't want I, I, I want everybody to be up the same level, and I, I'm even um, in some places where I have taught um, the stools are adjustable, yeah. and uh, um, and I just make sure they're all at the same same level too, because I don't want somebody sort of like you know hovering over somebody else, um, and uh, so I'm, I'm really careful to set up that environment that I, I think is all about respecting their their students and the, or excuse me, their peers and, um, and the input that their peers provide. And, um, and then I'm also really clear to point out uh, initially how important the input that each group provides, uh, how that contributes to the overall understanding. Um, and that it's sort of this group sense making that we do. And um, that is uh based purely on the input from from the other groups you know not from um you know me putting formulas on the board or telling them to read this or work these problems but but the 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 initial knowledge that they gain comes directly from 
their own experimentation and from the from the other groups. And a classic example of that is is uh, the first lab I always do, which is a pendulum lab. And uh, so, uh, um, and rather than have each group, um, there's three variables for a pendulum. There's the pendulum length, there's the angle of release, um, and there's the mass on the end of the, end of the pendulum. And, um, and only the, the length of the pendulum uh, has an impact on the, the period, the time that it takes a pendulum to, to oscillate once. And, um, and so what I will do is I'll have some, a couple of groups do um, each of the three um, potential uh, variables. And, um, and so they do only mass or they do only angle of release or they do only length. Uh, and then we, we take a look at it after everybody's done and analyze the results and put it on a graph and we do the whiteboard circle. Um, what will happen is, is it's really clear that on the mass versus time, it's, it's a horizontal line. On the angle of release versus time, it's a horizontal line. And, um, and on the length versus time, it's a side opening parabola. Um, in other words, it's uh, it's increasing. Uh, time is increasing as the length increases, but not linearly. Um, but I tell, I point out, I said, you know, this is this is something that that you know each of each of your groups have contributed to this understanding of what uh, um, what impacts the period of a pendulum, and um, and that we're going to do that a lot, right? And uh, and then I would never talk about. The formulas for a pendulum um, at all, right? It's just we just move on, right? It's all about establishing um, the value that the group provides, um, as well as um, uh, that each group provides, as well as um, you know, beginning to work on their scientific uh, on their their lab procedures. You mentioned something in your notes to me as we as we were discussing this, you know, ahead of time about Mm -hmm. providing relevant model deployment opportunities. Yeah. Can you, I didn't fully understand what that meant. You know, I'm not a science instructor, but what, what are you talking about when you talk about providing relevant model deployment opportunities? Sure. So that can take lots of different forms and typically it's, um, excuse me, so I'll give you a, a, an example, um, a couple of examples. One of them is, is that um, for the uh, when we begin to to uh, investigate acceleration, uh, what I like to do is um, I like to take uh, I have a collection of bowling balls um, that I have acquired <laughs> over the years, and uh, and I find that bowling balls heighten interest. You know, they're big. You could see them. The potential for for uh, danger goes up uh, considerably when you're using a bowling ball. <laughs> and so, um, so what, what we'll do is depending upon the time of the year in Minnesota, um, um, I try to get them outside if it's, if it's possible. Um, and we find a real gentle slope. I know of a couple of places where this happens at my school, um, real gentle slope. Um, or if the weather's crappy, we, uh, um, there's a there's a couple of hallways that have uh, fairly gentle uh, slopes that we use too. Um, but what we do is we go out and we um, lay out, you know, long uh, long tape measures and um, 
uh, and they let the bowling ball go and they time the bowling ball and they do it, you know, some, some groups will do how much time to get to certain distances. Some groups will do, um, um, uh, at a certain time, what's the, what's the position. Um, and, and, and again, that's, that's going to be up to them. And, uh, so then they come back in and they, you know, they've got all their data and they make some sense out of their data in the way that I just mentioned, where ultimately it culminates with a, with a board meeting. And, you know, we definitely see that, uh, that the position changed at a nonlinear rate. And, um, and then we start to start to jump into to graphing the velocity versus the time. And they see that that's linear. Um, but then I'll provide them with opportunities using the vernier equipment, for instance, right? So we'll follow up and do um, a series of labs on a, <clears throat> on a ramp um, where they're moving up the ramp toward the detector, um, which registers as, as negative, right? And uh, a negative velocity uh, moving toward the detector. And then they'll be down the ramp away from the detector, um, then they'll put the detector down here and it'll be up the ramp away from the detector and down the ramp toward the detector. So those are sort of the, the main ways that they look at it. So that's one deployment. Um, we will also look at um, um, applications um, of, uh, of things that accelerate, right? Um, whether that's working problems um, or I, uh, one of the assignments I always give my students is, uh, is to, to, uh, keep a list, um, come up with at least three things, um, that they were, that they felt accelerating or that, that accelerated, um, in their day. Um, hmm. of course, you know, car is always, um, one of them. And, uh, uh, some of them may have gone home and ridden a snowmobile or they may have, uh, um, you know, ridden a bike or whatever the case may be. But, um, but, but that's just to try to keep it, um, in 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 their world as much as possible and i always figure if uh if they can't look at the world without seeing physics then i've been successful <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. yeah that's awesome yeah. that's really cool so in general what would okay you you you're a, an experienced teacher you've been doing this for yeah uh, 36. 36 years. <laughs> well, I've been yeah. teaching for 36 years. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so you got a room full of newbies, new teachers. What's your best teaching tip that you would share with those teachers from your experience? There's so many little things that I, uh, sure. I also supervise student teachers. And so I'm, I'm thinking uh-huh. about these things, these things that I'm watching my student teachers acquire as time goes on right now. And, um, so I've got, I've got five physics student teachers right now. And, um, um, one of the things I really encourage them to do is, is learn their students names as quickly as possible. And, and, and to try to do that, you know, if they can do it in, in three or four days, um, and even if they maybe don't know all of the names, use enough of the names to convince the students that they know all the names. Um, and until you get them all, um, I think that's so important in terms of making a connection with the students. Um, it shows the students that that you are interested in them. 
um, that that they're not just another face sitting in your classroom, but that you are invested in them as individuals. And, uh, and I also tell them, I don't expect you to know any physics when you walk in here, right? Zero, right? Because, you know, yeah, you've, you know, physics has been part of your world, you know, every day. I mean, you, you fell down enough times when you were learning how to walk and, and that's because of physics, but, but, but I don't expect you to, to know and understand any physics. You're here to learn that, right? And don't be afraid to take, to take risks, to ask questions. Um, so I, I think maybe on a, more on a personal level um, to, to try to begin to establish a rapport with the students immediately. Um, everything follows, uh, flows more easily after that. Um, and, um, and also set up your classroom and be consistent in the way that um, you approach things. And uh, because you as a, as a teacher, you're expected to be the same person tomorrow that you were yesterday that you are today. Um, and you don't get to go hide in your cube if you're having a rough day. And, and, uh, so, but be consistent in the way that you approach, uh, things too, because that, that goes a long way to establishing a, a positive environment, I think, in your classroom. That's awesome. So John, tell me how modeling has, you know, impacted your life. Well, it, I, I mentioned this earlier that it really gave, um, structure and voice to what I had been attempting to do and the approach I felt like I'd been using um, leading up to my formal training in it. Um, and, and I can honestly say that, that when I look back on it, that workshop was, was transformative in the way that I teach physics. Um, it, it, it had a huge impact on my, uh, my approach and, um, and frankly on my career. And, um, because it makes it so much fun, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I, I mean, it, as an ADHD guy, I cannot, I, I cannot, uh, just, you know, sit in front of a room while my students work on problems. And so having <laughs> even more opportunities to interact with them when they're in lab groups and have them doing, um, you know, actually doing the, the experiments uh, is it, huge. Um, and it came at, at a perfect time in my career too. Um, and, um, and so I, you know, I've heard something similar from, from other participants about what an impact it's had on, on their career. And I don't take that as me having an impact on their, their career, but rather them being introduced to the modeling curriculum, the modeling approach is what, uh, had an impact on their career. And I'm just happy to have been a part of that. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, you're very encouraging, and I hope our listeners, if you haven't been to a workshop, that you'll consider uh, getting involved with a, a modeling workshop in whatever discipline that you're focused on, whether it be physics or chemistry or biology, or there's a couple others, too, I know, that are uh, being promoted now in the AMTA yeah. website, which is modelinginstruction.org, I believe, is... Um, EMT URL. Um, John, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule <laughs> to to talk with me today. It's been great. I've I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I think you've been very insightful. Um, do you have anything you want to say before we go? 
I, I just want to echo my uh, uh, the, the same to you. I really appreciate you asking me to do this. It's uh, it, 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 it's really enjoyable to talk about things that I'm passionate about yeah. um, and uh, and things like I, things that I feel like I know well. And, and this is this is certainly one of them. So yeah. it's been nice to talk with you. Thank you for the opportunity and. Uh, um, I look forward to maybe seeing you in uh, in San Luis Obispo this summer. It's possible. I might be there. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you have a great rest of the day, and I hope the snow is melting and <laughs> you guys yeah. can get around. The sun is now north of east and west, so that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You take care. You too. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.